Police forces across the country fight a tireless battle against child pornography. And while they do make dents in the trade of images of sexually exploited children, their efforts have extracted a heavy cost from one family. On April 16th of 2003, the Toronto police held a news conference to announce the arrest of five men on charges of child pornography. A warrant was sworn out for a sixth. Names and ages were released for all of the suspects as part of what was called Operation Snowball. It was Canada's biggest investigation into child pornography on the internet. The media came out in droves. One of the charged was a Toronto man named James LaCroix. But after further investigation, charges against him were withdrawn. But James LaCroix never recovered from the stigma of being associated with such a horrific crime. He lost his job, his friends his reputation, and eventually he lost his will to live. On July 19th, James LaCroix killed himself. Reporter Kelly Hudson has been investigating the life and death of James LaCroix. She joins me now from our studio in Thunder Bay. Good morning. Good morning. Now, the charges were withdrawn. Does that mean James LaCroix was innocent? In the eyes of the law, it does. And as James LaCroix's own lawyer said in a letter that he wrote to James's employer... He said the withdrawal of a charge is an even greater vindication than an acquittal, which is something that comes at the end of a trial. But really, Anna Maria, there are a variety of reasons for why charges are withdrawn. And to simplify, you know, it can range from lack of evidence to technicality to the wrong charge having been laid right on up to complete innocence, which is what James LaCroix's family believes. So innocent or not, did being named and shamed lead to his suicide? Yes, exactly. The naming and shaming is the core of my story. Now, we have two forces at work here. We have the horrible world of child pornography, which I think we all would agree is a terrible thing. And most of us would support the police in their efforts to rid, um, to, to get rid of child pornography, to find the makers, the abusers, the users, and the voyeurs. But on the other hand, and I think this is as equally important, is the need and the right to be considered innocent until proven guilty. The presumption of innocence is the core of our criminal justice system. And it's even more important in a case like this because the charge of child pornography carries a, a horrible stigma and people's reputations are at, are at stake. So where does your documentary start? It starts, Anna Maria, at the police press conference, uh, which was the beginning of the end for James LaCroix. That's where his personal downfall began. And I want to warn our listeners, uh, maybe parents in particular, this is a story about child pornography, and it's not pleasant. There are some descriptions and sounds that many may find difficult to listen to, and I just want to stress that. Okay, Kelly Hudson, let's listen to your documentary, Weighing the Balance. A Toronto police official does sound checks and white balances for the media. One, two, three, four, five. Police Chief Julian Fantino places a sign in front of the podium. It reads, it's all about the kids. Uh, good morning and thank you for coming. Um, over the past two days... Staff Inspector Bruce Smollett is the first to speak at the press conference. He's the head of the sex crimes unit. On the 14th and 15th of April, members of uh, the sex crimes unit uh, and the technical support section of intelligence executed a series of 10... These arrests are part of Operation Snowball, an ongoing investigation into child pornography on the Internet. The suspects are accused of using their credit cards to buy child porn. For Toronto Police, it's a dent, a small dent in a world where people trade pictures of children being sexually violated. 
At this time, uh, five men were arrested for various offenses relating to child pornography, and a warrant has been taken out for a sixth. The message from the sex crimes unit is clear. Police have zero tolerance for those members of society who use the internet to exploit children. Smollett goes on to read the names of those accused. James LaCroix, 49 years of Toronto, two counts of possession of child pornography, accessing child pornography. The media reported what they said. I mean, I, I was, we were pretty angry. This is the first time Bob LaCroix has actually seen the video of the press conference. He read all the media coverage at the time, but never actually heard the words that began a terrible journey for his younger brother, James. Bob is sitting in the basement of his Newmarket home with his eldest daughter, Krista. They both lean in to listen to the police videotape as Chief Fantino steps up to the podium. The head of Canada's biggest municipal police force calls for more government funding and tougher legislation. And then with his words, paints a picture of the accused men. These uh, Project Snowball arrests involve offenders from all walks of life uh, who live in every corner of the city. Uh, they only have one thing in common, and that is the criminal approach to their relationship with children. And uh, it's a perverse uh, situation that obviously, in many, many different ways, uh, victimizes children. And, Bob uh, LaCrosse swears quietly under his breath, and then again. Jeez. This is, this is grandstanding. It's got, you know, how can you, how can you do this to people? You know, to use that kind of language in an organized press conference and name the people is, is you know, he's tried and, and found them guilty before he even knows any, any facts at all. Like, he knows nothing. I mean, I know the police do a lot of good work, but this isn't, this isn't good work. They have nothing, and they ruin a guy's life. They ruin more than my brother's life. They ruin others. As he says this to me, Bob LaCroix turns away. Upstairs, Bob remembers happier times. A lot of these photos came from, from her when my older daughter was working in Australia last year. We're looking at a collage of family photos hanging on the living room wall. James was the youngest of three boys. Jim, Jamie, or Jim Bob, as some called him, was always the live wire. Very funny, very outgoing. Well, it's a little football uh, game going on in the front yard of our house. James is snapping the ball to my brother. And how old is James there? Uh, he'd, he'd be uh, 14, around 14, 14. James had a degree in environmental studies, but his true love was business. He worked for a couple of financial institutions, did some consulting work. He even helped Bob set up his own business. In the year 2000, he landed his dream job. He was hired as executive director at Computers for Schools Ontario. It's a not-for-profit organization that collects, repairs, and refurbishes old computers and then donates them to schools and libraries. The staff there loved him. So did the board. In fact, less than two weeks before his arrest, James LaCroix received a glowing performance evaluation, and the board of directors increased his annual bonus to show appreciation. Bob gazes at a more recent photo. He's pulled it from a stack of papers on his dining room table. It was taken in James's condo in Toronto. The three brothers are standing, grinning broadly, in front of an older woman. Their mother, Bob explains. He talks about his younger brother with affection and pride. He was on top of the world, and he was 
had a great job. You know, everything was going well for him. So he uh, probably explained why we were having such a, a good laugh in that picture. So. Downtown at Toronto Police Headquarters, children are lined up waiting to tour the police museum. There's a small display just inside the main doors of the police station. October is Child Abuse Prevention Month. Detective Sergeant Paul Gillespie steps off the elevator and strides confidently towards me. I shake hands with the six-foot-five veteran cop. We pass through security and then head upstairs to his office to talk about what he does for a living as the guy in charge of Toronto's Child Exploitation Unit. Oh, this is the um, uh, sex crimes unit. This whole section over here is mine, all child exploitation. And this is my own. OK. What I got here is um, two things we seized, uh, actually four movies and a CD that, done, that we seized in both the last um, two weeks or so. And this is simply typical. And so, as you what? Some, some have sound, some don't. Sound's not great. This one we just got, this guy is very disturbing to the guys. The images and Paul's explanation of them are hard to look at and hard to listen to. Man in the bathtub with a four-year-old girl trying to penetrate her from behind and actually lifting her off the ground. Paul, where where do you find this stuff? Just on computers and collections of people we've arrested in the last couple of weeks. The images are horrifying, unimaginable, pure evil. Children as young as one, bound, duct taped, blindfolded, gagged, being vaginally, anally raped by grown men with magic markers. They even use a child's candy dispenser. If, if you'll notice, I mean, sometimes you see children just screaming and um, obviously very upset and disturbed, but and, and as often though we'll see uh, children that it's obvious this is just the way life is for them, and they're almost uh, they go they go into almost like a trance. Um, and I find that more disturbing that a child having this happen would uh, would not be screaming, would just be accepting it. It's obvious that this last year alone, the Toronto Police seized millions of images of child pornography. Not all of them as bad as what we just watched. But it is illegal in Canada to distribute a picture of someone under the age of 18 involved in any sexual activity. Gillespie knows there's a broad spectrum of images out there, ranging from torture to mere posing. But to him, to him, child pornography is child pornography. And it's a crime. That's why he has no qualms about naming people arrested for possession or distribution. Ultimately, it boils down to children being abused. And, and uh, these are crime scene photos. They're, they're, they're um, memorializations uh, of, a, uh, of the worst, most horrific moment in somebody's life that people are going to trade around forever and, and, and take pleasure in. And I don't know how much, anything could be much more despicable than that. Every time somebody looks at one of these pictures, the child's re-victimized. Um, so when I hear things in court like, oh my guy, he's just collecting, he just looks at the stuff, it's not, you know, he's not the problem. Well, you know what, yeah, he is the problem. These aren't hockey cards. I mean, these are children being tortured. And, and, uh, Police have arrested five more men in the GTA on child porn charges. A total of 21 men have now been arrested in Operation Snowball. The police cracked down. After his arrest and the publicity, James LaCroix went into a free fall. The effects were immediate and devastating. He was suspended with pay from his job and then, a few months later, let go with a severance package. People talked, 
friends, some of them lifelong, disappeared. Bob LaCrosse says it was very hard on his brother. For somebody that worked so hard to get to where he was going, for this to hit him at this point was just devastating. It just he, did, he was just didn't know what to, to do at first. He was just shattered. But James and his family remained optimistic, never giving up hope that the charges would be dropped. Bob says his brother admitted to using his credit card to buy adult pornography, one of those one-month trial things. As his niece Krista says, James was no monk. He was a single adult male. James was embarrassed about buying porn, but his family says he had no idea there was a connection to child porn until he was arrested. On September 23rd, about five months after his arrest, those charges were withdrawn. No reasons were read into the record during LaCroix's brief court appearance, but a spokesperson from the Attorney General's office said the prosecution was discontinued on the basis of new evidentiary considerations, considerations that affected the strength of the Crown's case. So in the eyes of the law, LaCroix is innocent. But there was no media conference to trumpet this news on that day, just a quick up-and-down appearance in a downtown courtroom. James called his brother to let him know the good news. So he called me right away and, and just said it was dropped and with, with unconditionally, and it was, it was fantastic. We got together, I think it was a few days later, uh, to have a beer and talk it over. And He was still pretty upset about the whole process, but now he was looking forward. Now he wanted to go on and put this behind him as much as he could. With a letter from his lawyer, James set out to get his old job back. Bob reads from that letter... It's addressed to John May, Chair of the Board for Computers for Schools. In criminal law, there is no greater exoneration than the withdrawal of a charge. In fact, the withdrawal of a charge is an even greater vindication than an acquittal. It's tantamount to the charge never having been laid. What makes the but Computers for Schools wouldn't even consider taking James LaCroix back unless he agreed to a separate investigation. John May is the Chair of the Board, and he explains why. We told them that we felt we had to do an investigation to find out whether there's any truth in the claims that the police had made and through the Crown had now dropped. Why did you feel that investigation was necessary? Well, we felt as a board that we had uh, uh, both a right to know whether those uh, allegations were true and an obligation to our various stakeholders to ascertain whether they were true. Bob LaCrosse says his brother refused to participate in any investigation. He said he was innocent. Plus, James thought he'd find another job very soon, and he came close several times. Bob says his brother was in the running down to the final three for some pretty high-level positions, but the job offers never came. Bob LaCrosse says it's partly because his brother was denied a reference from Computers for Schools. John May admits this is true. In fact, as board chair, he was the one who wrote the letter to James telling him this. But May says he agreed privately to be a personal reference for James, but he was never called. Bob LaCrosse says he was unaware of that arrangement, but he points to another reason, a second reason, why he thinks the job offers never came through for his brother. The press conference. The public naming and shaming. When they hold a public press conference like that, very well organized and orchestrated, all of the major media were there, made headlines in the major papers. It's spread out on the internet. And all you had to do was a search for James LaCrosse and it would come up on the internet that these charges were laid. And, and people, all that people see is that in the headline. They never see anything else. That's not available on the internet, all, that the charges were dropped. And, and that bit of news just didn't make it anywhere. 
Detective Sergeant Paul Gillespie won't talk much about James LaCroix, but he does say this. I, I can tell you, uh, again, that we only would lay a charge, and certainly in these type of cases, because of the, um, the types of sensitivity involved, um, that um, we're very aware of uh, uh, the potential impact on uh, not just, you know, obviously accused and families and victims, and the whole issue uh, stirs up so many um, thoughts and uh, memories for everybody. So if we, had, if we lay charges, we're quite satisfied that we have enough to do so, and then leave it up to the courts to decide on the disposition. James LaCroix was defiant to the end, fighting to clear his name. About a month before he died, he gave a media interview. In it, he declared his innocence. LaCroix also called for changes to police policy on naming suspects. His family knew James was suffering, but they had no idea how much. His niece, Krista LaCroix. When this hit, he just kind of retreated. The last time I saw him was for Mother's Day. We, we took my Nana out for lunch. And um, normally, he's so funny. I mean, at family gatherings, he would have everybody in stitches, including my Nana, who's trying to look all pretty for pictures. And <laughs> she's got tears running down her face, laughing so hard. And normally, he'd you know, be cracking jokes. He, he didn't have it in him. He really didn't have it in him. It was just kind of like a, I'm here and, and that's it. And I don't know. I'd never seen him without life in his eyes like that. It was obvious that James was angry and frustrated. He wrote an email to his brothers after learning he wasn't going to get his job back. Bob LaCroix reads his brother's words. To be honest, I'm melting down with the inability to handle the anger, betrayal, and frustration. So I guess there is no real innocence, just unproven guilt. James had a way with words. Two months after that Mother's Day lunch, James wrote two more notes. One was for his mom, to reassure her that this had nothing to do with her, and to tell her he loved her. The second note, more detailed, was addressed to Gary and Bob, his older brothers. Uh, It starts, brothers of mine. Just give me a minute to look at it again. This is his own thoughts, just reading what he wrote. And again, he, he was feeling badly, obviously, and you may want to seriously consider a wrongful death suit or whatever it would be called against the police in Fantino. You know the complaint. They're reckless, irresponsible, media release destroyed my life. They should be held responsible for compensation. Also, they should have to change their and all police departments' media's ways so others don't get caught up in this crap. That's what he wants. That's what he was trying to say, is is this can't happen to other people. On July 19th, James drove to a country road about 10 kilometres from his brother's home in Newmarket. He put a charcoal barbecue on the seat beside him, lit it, and died from the fumes carbon monoxide poisoning. It's a tragedy for everyone. For James, his brother Bob, the rest of the LaCroix family. Even Detective Sergeant Paul Gillespie, the man in charge of the Toronto Police Child Exploitation Unit, expresses sympathy for a man he never knew. But Gillespie says police do 
what they have to do. Looking at this problem from all levels, I believe that the way we do business in this area is the right way to do business. Bob LaCroix doesn't accept that. He wants change because what happened to his brother, he says, should never happen to anyone else. The charges were dropped completely and how do you erase that from everything, from everybody's memory, from everybody's, from all the internet sites? It, and it all came from there, it came from that press conference. Uh, and that's what's got to change. They can't try and convict people, you know, in their own department. There's, it's just, it's too much. James was a good man. He didn't, he didn't deserve this. It was, it, it's just devastating to everybody. And obviously it was totally devastating to him. We've been listening to a documentary prepared by CBC Radio's Kelly Hudson in Thunder Bay.